Blog Talk Radio. It's Mar- March 12, 2017. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight we're joined by co-host Jeff Fillion. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Jeff Brown is on assignment. Remember, good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and privilege of serving the members in the interest of the membership. Having said that, we certainly hope everyone stayed safe and enjoyed this past week. On to announcements. It's reported that the UAW workers at Honeywell will all be returning to work on Monday, the 13th of March, that's tomorrow. Many kudos to the leadership and the members for staying strong throughout their extended lockout. It's a testament to union solidarity. Congratulations, brothers and sisters, for what we consider to be a victory. Second announcement, the Republican Congress has introduced a national right-to-work legislation bill last week. We've seen what that's doing in the states. Now they're trying to do this national. Let's all take special note and try and stop this. Number three, General Motors announced last week that it'll be eliminating a shift and laying off 1,100 workers. Announcement four, the Republican Congress has introduced H.R. 2881 VPP. This weakens the penalties for health and safety violations in the workplace. Stay tuned for more on this. This could really change the way enforcement's done of OSHA. So really it's not a good thing. Some say the unions are behind this, but I'm not seeing uh, any value in this as from where I'm standing this early in this. And the team seems to be real reticent about this as well, so we did discuss this a bit. Uh, announcement five, last week General Motors also announced the sale of Opel to the PSA Corporation of France for $2.2 billion. Reportedly, this ends General Motors' non-profit footprint, non-profitable footprint in Europe. And announcement number six, lastly, we would like to announce that today is the beginning of a rare two-day full moon where 100% of the moon can be seen, can be viewed during both nights. And it seems to be showing. Uh, on to email. Uh, we received a comment asking for clarity of the recent PRB decision. That's from Brother D.D. in Michigan. Uh, we brought this up last week and spoke to it uh, quite a bit. I suppose we lacked in some detail. Uh, allow me to uh, expand on that a little here. Article 12, Section 19 of the UAW Constitution, in part, says, verbatim minutes shall be taken at all meetings of the International Executive Board. It goes on to say, Article 19, Section or 12, Section 19, uh, such copies shall be made available to any interested member in good standing for the inspection at the offices of the International Secretary-Treasurer and of each international executive board member. 
clear, isn't it? At the offices of the International Secretary Treasurer and of each International Executive Board member, very specific, at their offices. The IEB's position in this appeal, in part, states the International Union made the IEB minutes available at their attorney's office located in Buffalo, New York, end quote, followed later by, in quotes, in part, there is no constitutional basis for Keener's procedural arguments, end quote. That's the IEB's position. Here's the Public Review Board's decision, in part. In this case, the International Union made a reasonable combination to afford Gaynor her constitutional right to inspect the verbatim minutes she requested, end quote. As you can see, listeners, this is real clear. It says that they may be viewed by any member in good standing at the offices of the International Secretary Treasurer, who is part of the International Executive Board, by the way, and of each International Executive Board member. That's at those offices. Very specifically states those offices. And the IEB's position was that they made them available at an attorney's office. Happens to be the opposing counsel in litigation of this member. And then the Public Review Board affirms the IEB's position. So it appears as though the Constitution hasn't been upheld in any fashion by the leadership or the august, I use that term loosely, members of the Public Review Board. So that should clarify that. Uh, this week's uh, quote, and there were no other email this week, just that one comment. Uh, uh, this, yeah, we have a quote this week. Uh, it's an interesting quote. Beware the Ides of March. The Ides of March. In modern times are best known as the date in which Julius Caesar was assassinated, 44 B.C. Caesar was stabbed to death at a meeting of the Senate. As many as 60 conspirators led by Brutus and Cassius were involved. According to Plutarch, Plutarch, a seer, that's a soothsayer as, as we know them, but a seer had warned that harm would come to Caesar no later than the Ides of March. That's March 15th for all uh, that may not know that. On his way to the theater of Pompeii, where he would later be assassinated, Caesar passed this seer and joked, the Ides of March have come, implying that the prophecy had not been fulfilled. To the seer, to which the seer replied, I, Caesar, but not gone. Caesar was later murdered. Uh, the Roman biographer Suetonius identifies the seer, the soothsayer, as a horospex named Suprina, and I guess the Horospex is a, uh, a soothsayer like a maybe a medium or some, some person might be today in our modern time. Uh, 
uh, notable that Wednesday is the Ides of March coming up. Also notable, Brexit is being implemented in Europe on the Ides of March, five hours before our day starts here. I think that's rather, like last week's quote, rather pertinent. So stay tuned, as we say sometimes. Uh, let me bring on uh, David Fillion. And... Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, Leroy. How are you? I'm real well, thank you. I'm having a, a pretty good day. As, uh outside a little bit, but I did get a chance to do a lot of writing. So, um, And I've been pretty busy, as you know, most of the week writing uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, and, uh, yes, I we, do know. Yeah, we uh, have uh, got some folks on their heels, I think, so we'll we'll just stay tuned and, and uh, watch how that turns out. Um, everything, how are things uh, in your neck of the woods. I mean, it's been a very interesting week here in mid-Michigan and around the Midwest. Oh, yeah. Very eventful week. Um, uh, we uh, all seem to have uh, electricity now in our area. Um, the damage remains um, very viewable. Um, school roof was torn off. Uh, lost a building in a small village in Clarksville. Um, a lot of downed trees. Um, people getting testy that they, you know, were out of power. Um, I don't believe that's the fault of uh, consumers' power or DTE energy. Um, these companies are understaffed, is my belief. Um, when a catastrophe like this happens, they simply don't have the manpower to handle the situation. That isn't the fault of the workers but the corporation I work for. Um, I think that the workers do a very good job and very challenging um, environment that they have to work in, those high winds. Some of those winds dusted up to 60 miles an hour. So um, shout out to the workers, um, to the company itself. We need to hire some more workers. We did have... Uh, um, linemen from other states come up and help us, though. Um, much appreciated to those workers who came. Correct. Yes, I, I happened to be on the west side uh, over this past weekend and in the evening time, and the old Holiday Inn, I don't know what it's called anymore, uh, where uh, TGI Fridays and now Finley's is, is located uh, on Canal and Saginaw, West Saginaw, uh, there there have to be 50 uh, uh, bucket trucks, the big ones, uh, in that parking lot overnight. So they're out working from other states, and we really appreciate them coming up here. The reason that they come without question is because there's always a good float of money in the Board of Water and Light and the Consumer's Energy for such uh, emergencies, you know, they're, they're, it's just reciprocal, but they do get paid. You know, they uh, send their workers here, and then later, uh, as the bills uh, show up, the Board of Water and Light's able to pay those, and that's uh, due to the the uh, capital reserve that they have. I know there's a lot of people in in 
government, local government, that would have their eye on that capital reserve. They want to use that to balance the budget, and that's needed for uh, when these sort of things occur. So it's very important that there's folks that actually know how to run government um, placed in government, because if you don't have folks that really understand it, then they make decisions that are uh, detrimental to the long-term well-being of our community, in any community. It's the same nationwide or worldwide, I imagine. You know, just uh, you have to uh, make sure that uh, those things that are necessary, like a capital reserve, a huge capital reserve in this case, these folks have been here since Wednesday when they started having problems. They shoot, shot them right up here from other states. And uh, it's costly, you know. That's extra money out of the coffers to, to fix this stuff. You know, they've been doing, since the ice storm of the winter a couple of years ago, they've been doing a better job at maintaining and repairing and updating some of the the uh, um, delivery systems of power and and uh, such, they uh, haven't got it all done. Though, so that's why these folks have uh, uh, come up here. And th these are, by and large, above-ground uh, issues. Those that uh, are below ground typically don't have wind uh, damage done to them, or unless you have some sort of a sheer earthquake or something that might cause something like that or, uh, you know, some uh, unnatural event occur. So be it. But, uh, but that's, you know, that's just good government, folks, and we need to keep good leaders in, in government so they understand that and don't abuse what's required, eventually required. Uh, so having said that, uh, yeah, that's, it, you know, you're spot on, David. I mean, I know some buildings that actually had the, the, the glass in the windows bow so much from the wind that it just uh, exploded. They just sheared you know, open and exploded into the rooms. Uh, so that it's uh, it's been a, a very interesting few days around here. Uh, power's been out, and uh, I had it out for a while, and it was intermittent even after it came on, so we weren't getting too much done. So to those uh, out there uh, that were watching for us to do more maybe through the week, we apologize. It's just didn't happen because we didn't have access or uh, reliable access to get some of the stuff done that we would like to have. So uh, having said that, uh, David, you know, we uh, planned a, a roundtable discussion around the uh, uh, issue of coming technology and how this may affect the uh, work as we know it today. So you want to take the lead on that and kind of start off? Yeah. Um, we're talking about 3D printing tonight is what we're discussing. Um, as you know, um, past shows we've uh, discussed uh, technology, not necessarily 3D printing like we will tonight, but we talked about soft-touch robots um, interchangeable heads that articulate. Um, they're able to see through stereo vision. Um, these robots will also become a very instrumental part of 3D printing. 
as they will assemble the parts that are printed. And, uh, so that's something that we need to know. Um, the uh, one of the issues of 3D printing. Let's take, for example, somebody who wants to buy a pair of shoes. Generally, you'll go to a brick-and-mortar store to get that pair of shoes. In the future, you won't have to. You'll simply go online and download download the uh, application and print your own pair of shoes. That's probably about 10 years down the road, but it's coming. That will close up brick-and-mortar stores. Um, in the automotive industry, um, you're going to see parts 3D printed, um, plastic injection molding. you got a job center, mold makers. Um, you got people um, trimming parts. Um, you're not going to have that anymore. These parts will simply be manufactured with a little, very little waste. And you'll have somebody packing them off, maybe one person. But the machinery will do the rest, the rest of the work. Um, as far as waste, when I'm talking about that, let's talk about, well, let's say you're going to um, 3D print a wheel. Today, you take a wheel, you know, a block of aluminum, you put it into um, a CM or a, a CAD machine, and uh, it chips away at it. There's a lot of waste. 3D printing, there's hardly any waste at all. You only put in um, the amount of product that it takes to build. And once that CAD machine is done um, using a 3D printing, um, there's very little waste left. The other thing that 3D printing will do is um, cut down on transportation costs. Um, products often travel across many continents to get to their final destination. With 3D printing, the production and assembly can be local. Raw materials are the only things that will ship, and they take up far less space. And in the case of unsold products, the company makes a product that, you know, the ones that are discontinued are not sold often ends up in landfills. 3D printing can improve this because companies can make them as needed. It won't be stockpiled anymore. Those are some uh, some issues um, with 3D printing. Uh, if you'd like to add something, and um, I'll look at some more of what I got here while you're while you're talking, Leroy. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to jump in there, uh, David, and this is a roundtable discussion, so we're going to go uh, back and forth with this a little bit, uh, and uh, uh, just know that uh, we have you know pretty good, goodly amount of information. It's been reported that uh, the automotive facility, manufacturing facility in the future will consist of a 1,500-square-foot 
facility. 1,500. That's the size of many homes. 1,500 square feet. This has been reported by a company by the name of Local Motors. They have several videos. They're worth taking a look at. Uh, we've viewed the, these, and we've actually spoke about this company on air in the past. Local Motors uh, will be building these facilities. Uh, they've already built a 3D vehicle that will drive down the road with the exception of the motor. They build it all by 3D printing. And drivable down the road. So this exists. This isn't something that's futuristic and going to happen out there somewhere in the future. They expect, pay attention, to build a vehicle in their 1,500-square-foot facility with, pay attention, one staff hour from start to finish. Turn the machine on, rinse the vehicle, minor assembly required by a single person, one staff hour. Drive it out the garage door. Now, that might not happen in a single hour, but it would only be one staff hour working between several of these facilities. So it might build eight cars a day. Who knows? Then they go from car to car to car in eight facilities next to one another. The only limiter at this time is the speed of 3D printing. It, in, in only some cases, has it risen to the level of production speed. Last week we reported, or it was reported in the news, that Ford will be 3D printing a spoiler for cars. They're testing that now. It's a low-volume product. So they'll be able to keep up with this with several 3D printing machines. If you don't know what a 3D printer is, let me explain a little bit. It's not like a printer where you print a page with ink on it, you know, like Hewlett-Packard or somebody that you're real familiar with. This is 3D printing of an actual part. The printer printers vary in size and thus vary in the size of a product that they can build or print. Some of the printers that Local Motors has, for example, seem to be about six feet wide and about six feet long, approximately four to five feet in height. And these are all approximate numbers based on, you know, viewing their video that makes these parts. As the printer head moves through the area of printing, 
it lays down a bead. And the bead can be almost anything from plastic, steel, aluminum. They have actually 3D printed a hamburger at one of the universities in the northeast of our country. So those 3D printers, and they call them 3D because they literally can print something in three dimensions. Typically, we see a lot of plastics coming out. It was reported last week on one of the pages in the Facebook that General Electric has been using 3D printing for some time. And their problem has been chemically, uh, chemical emissions up into the, the atmosphere, into the air that the surrounding community has to breathe. And these, they had a term for them, PPEs, PEEs. They're not, uh, we, you know, in our paint department, we had VOCs, volatile organic, organic chemicals. So while they might not be exactly the same as that, they seem to be problematic for the surrounding community. And if OSHA does testing, then perhaps that might be a problem. Of course, we saw this evening earlier in the show that the um, issue of enforcement by OSHA may be getting watered down. The penalties and fines might be going away. So you might have a 3D printer in your neighborhood uh, at an industrial facility that emits these uh, gases, for a better word, for lack of a better word, we'll use that, into the air and the community be stuck with breathing that. So we have to be real careful. We talked about balance in our, our government earlier when we just talked about what the issue of uh, uh, cash reserve was so that we see, you know, things get fixed after a, um, a uh, um, big storm, windstorm, whatever, act of God. So we need to make sure that we have good rules and laws in place to protect the communities. As this new technology comes forward, we shouldn't be eliminating things that we don't even know what are coming, uh, the protections for, against what we don't even know are coming. So 3D printing uh, now has two problems, speed and chemical emittance into the atmosphere. So they'll get around that pretty quick or just build them the, the, the way they're building them. Uh, and uh, the number of workers used in 3D printing operations is dramatically reduced, dramatically reduced. And we don't know how far just yet, but it's going to get a long way down from where it's at now. Back in the 80s, they were complaining about taking 30-plus hours to build a car, staff hours. And it's morphed into the low 20s, 
and now into the high teens, as as I've come to understand, staff hours to build a single car. If it gets down to one, take a look around you. We'll just say it's 18 now. Take a look around you. Count 17 people, your friends, that work next to you, and those 17 people won't have a job in the coming technology. The auto industry has supplied large numbers of employment for a very long time, and we can see on the horizon where that is going to go away. There's a gentleman, brother of ours, who was on one of the threads this past week, because we posted this uh, thread about 3D printing. I did. And he made comment that he's well-versed in 3D printing. He can print something down to the size of a human hair. And I submit probably is flexible, you know, because he's that talented. He said it's the coming wave of the future. This is somebody that understands this. It's probably somebody that needs to be more part of the dialogue to deal with its coming. This isn't somebody to be feared. It's somebody to embrace. Our brother is telling us this is coming. And it's very, very fine. There's no additional machining required when they print these. They don't have to run a hone down through them anymore. It's already fine. The edges and surfaces are all just perfect when they get done, built when they 3D print these, with little to no staff hours. Yes, there will take... Yeah, no scrap. So, little, they'll take some some maintenance, and there'll be people who maintain the machines. No, probably I'm going to submit no more than the maintenance that that we already have within our facilities. So those jobs will likely still be there. But those of us who work for a living are going to be edged out. So it's pretty solemn, and I want to convey that message. This is a big deal, folks. This is a very, very big deal. We'll get on to some more of that, but I'm going to throw it back to David right now because I think he's got some more for us. Go ahead, David. Well, actually, right. Um, I'm aware that you attended a meeting in Lansing, um, I believe it was last summer, where you spoke to Democrats um, about this very issue. Would you like to talk on that and what their um, opinion was? Yeah, I'll just, you know, it's, I don't think it's lengthy, but I'll I'll, I'll speak to it. Uh, I was made aware uh, that they were having a forum, and this was in July of 2014, so it's been a while ago. Uh, two and a half years. 
It was okay, late I in June. It was last summer. No, it, it was it was the 14th. But it's you know not so long ago. Time's just slipping away, just like smoke through a keyhole. Yeah, it just goes away pretty quick. Uh, don't waste any time. We're not wasting any time around here. Let me tell you. But it's been a while. Uh, I uh, knew three of the people. There were four people running for Congress, the eighth congressional district of the state of Michigan, as Democrats. And Ingham County uh, was hold, hosting a forum uh, at the IBEW Hall on, on one of the streets here in Lansing. I'll have to get into all that. Uh, they, uh, I was made aware, and I thought, you know, I, I probably ought to attend this. And I have some questions, that I'd, or at least one question I'd like to ask. So I go and I listen, and... Um, you know, a lot of questions like, you know, fluffy questions, how are you going to help this, and, oh, what about this group and that group, and all these fluffy questions. And there were a lot of people in the audience. Uh, of the people running for office, there was one Ph.D. psychology that teaches uh, as a professor at Central Michigan University, a very nice woman, raised, I think, eight children, eight foster children, well well known in the community, real nice lady. Then there was the county treasurer that ran, very political, also a past chair of the Ingham County Democratic Party, like myself. And uh, he was there, and I know him for a very long time, nice man. A uh, young attorney, uh, Jeff Hank, he's been on our show. Uh, was there. He was running for Congress at the time. And a fellow that I didn't know, but a pretty knowledgeable guy, Ph.D. of economics is his background, running for political office. Now, uh, he really didn't fare all that well because he wasn't all that political. Uh, Jeff Hank was kind of young, kind of new. The treasurer got our endorsement, uh, UAW endorsed the treasurer of the county, knowing who and what he was, uh, and he won the primary. And the uh, lady came in second, a real nice lady, Ph.D. professor from Central Michigan. I asked the following question. Given the latest technology where we're seeing artificial intelligence, robots able to walk up and down stairs, 3D printing, drones delivering product to homes from uh, localized warehouses. And we're seeing, I'm going to add here, we're seeing that uh, Amazon and others are making these uh, localized warehouses where they can deliver door-to-door, and uh, UPS is planning on doing that. Uh, I haven't seen anything from FedEx, but I imagine they're not going to be far behind that. That will eliminate all those drivers in those trucks, except in in inclement weather where a drone couldn't fly. But I asked them, I said, Giving, given all of this artificial intelligence coming and the fact that in Flint, 
we built a motor plant, General Motors built a motor plant, that when asked how many new jobs this will create, they said zero. Not one new job will be created with the building of this brand new motor manufacturing plant, motor plant. Not one, not one job. And it's true, they held true to their word, no new jobs were created in the operation of that facility. I said, what are you going to do for the person who has the unfortunate heritage to be born in the United States of America where no jobs exist or few jobs exist as we know them today? That's my question. What are you going to do for him? The Ph.D., lady from Central said, oh, we've heard about this coming and it's just not going to happen. The treasurer said, I'm not as negative as you are. Attacked me for bringing the question. Our friend, Jeff Hank, said he knows some people that are in this industry. He knows some people in the industry. And a Ph.D. economist went on to expand about it and that it is real and it's coming. He gave the best answer. No one got the right answer. I'll tell you that in a few minutes. I will say, though, that Judge Giddings retired from the Ingham County Circuit Court, stalwart in support of workers always, came up to me later and said, Leroy, it's good to see you. And that was a great question for these people. And I looked at him and I said, you know, Jim, the question really wasn't meant to be answered. It was meant to begin a dialogue among people in this room and those who aspire to be members of Congress. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Go ahead, David. You got any more else? Anything else? No. Um, most certainly corporations will expend the money um, for this new technology. In the beginning, the expenditure will be high, but they'll spend it. And after they've done that, um, and we start seeing these um, robots and 3D printers producing parts and the jobs going away, um, well, like I said, our team's been looking at it now for what almost two years, and uh, in our contract we have what's known as competitive K or appendix K, excuse me, the competitive agreement. That language basically says we will continuously improve 
forever. It's a living agreement. Every shop chairman will participate in this process. Are they going to participate in the elimination of our workers' jobs through 3D printing and robots? Are they willing to go that far? We've heard no plan from them. Nothing. Are they simply going to wait until until it's staring them in the face? And then what will they tell the members? Something they need to think about today. Absolutely, David. The the issue of Appendix K is interesting. Uh, It's Appendix J in Ford, and I I really can't recall uh, what it is in Chrysler, uh, the FCA contract. I have it. You have it? I say all three have the agreement. Yes, all three have it. Yes, they all three have the same language. That effectively requires every chairperson in the... Uh, facility, local union facility, to participate in this ever-growing efficiencies. And because of that, it is in direct conflict with speed-up language that's also in all of the three agreements. There hasn't, to my knowledge, been a speed-up grievance written for a good long while, maybe a decade or longer, since the inception of this Appendix K in, in the General Motors agreement, and they all came in at the same time. So is that in the interest of the membership is a good question, you know. Uh, and <laughs> when you have leadership at the very top telling by contract, buying through our contract, and they push this down everybody's throat, you know, agree to this contract or else, Paragraph 78, a dinosaur. Right, exactly. Paragraph 78 is a dinosaur. So is that in the interest of the membership? You know, should members be required to work harder and faster because the company wants us to be more efficient and requiring the committee chair, bargaining committee chair themselves to be a participant in, in efficiencies? of the company or should the bargaining chair and bargaining committee be sticking up for the people saying, oh no, oh no, you shouldn't have to do the work of three people. And we have numbers where one person today, based on the number of cars that were built 10 years ago, in 2000, well, in 2010, so seven years ago, were the, were the last numbers we could get. The numbers of cars being built with the number of people, now, today, one person is doing the same work of three people. Spread out, probably, and like evenly taken away from it, you know. Uh, the whole component of the workforce. But that's that's the case. Now, there's obviously some automation in there. But 
I just can't believe that we've got lost, you know, two people for every three we had due to automation in the last seven years. So that's that's an, another topic. So uh, yeah. huh. you got anything else right handy, David? Um, on the 3D printing, no. Um, that was about it on that. Um, okay. I'd like to point out that any time that you talk to um, international staff, okay, okay, um, they'll tell you that this is an insourcing tool. It hasn't worked out in that way. It's become more of a whipsawing tool between locals. The way we treat each other out of jobs and product allocation. I'm wondering how many of these chairmen know about 3D printing and how many of them are willing to give away their members' jobs to keep their plant going. Well, um, it certainly hasn't been an insourcing tool. No. For sure. It has become, as you say, whipsawing because they're using it, using it for future allocation of product. How efficient is your facility? And those, the most efficient, are going to get the new work. The language speaks directly to that. Yes, it does. So uh, that's that's you know very clearly whipsawing between the plants and the communities. So it's, uh, and, and, of course, the membership are the ones that are being worked as slaves in the plant. And that's a term that a brother used to me who's working in one of the facilities. I'm not going to mention his name, but I'm going to tell you he's a solid brother. We had a nice discussion at PM. We had to carry it over to PM because it started getting that, that testy. He's a good brother. And you know who you are. I spoke with you last week, and uh, kudos to you. Uh, we actually, uh, well, we're not going to say that uh, uh, on air. Uh, so, yeah, the, you know, the people that are being treated like slaves, working like dogs in redundant work that's causing them great bodily harm, uh, This is these are things that need to be addressed at the highest level, and then have that come down to each and every member because we can't be doing this any longer and allowing this to come in. Now, if, as David said, a lot of the chairpersons probably don't even understand what the next foot to fall is, and we're talking about it tonight, 3D printing, the advent of driverless vehicles, the advent of delivery systems that are by drone as opposed to truck driver. These are the sort of things that are on the horizon about to take over all these jobs. Everybody says our economy is doing so great. Well, there's a whole lot of folks out here that not not doing so well. So if you know a committee person, if you're friends with a committee person, Grab them by the shoulder like that guy did to me the second day I worked at General Motors, and he told me, people died here on this sidewalk so you could work here today. Grab them real good and hard on their right shoulder 
turn them around and look them in the eye and say, you don't know what's going on. You should listen to that radio show from March 12, 2017, Working for a Living. You need to be updated on that. Tell them to come and listen to this show that we're having tonight. Now, uh, I want to get on to another topic, a little bit different. It's still on, on, on topic, but it's a little deviation from the core issue here. Most people that know working for a living understand that it is a caucus, and there are a number of on-air and off-air people, the off-air people we try to keep uh, secluded so they don't get attacked like some previous people have that we've had on air. Uh, And that caucus is to move forward to take on the current leadership that we don't think is doing a very good job for a number of reasons, not the least of which is this evening's show. And yours truly founded this caucus and is running for president. Jeff is very clearly running for treasurer. And we have other people slotted in for the International Executive Board. And you're not seeing most of those folks. But it's pretty well known throughout the Facebook pages. And a brother, uh, Van Horn, I think is his last name, asked me in a thread, and I really haven't responded to him yet because I was really hoping to talk about it tonight on air. Asked me when this issue of 3D printing and new technology came up I think on Tuesday, and then we had all the power outages and everything since, and a lot lot of writing for uh, projects that are ongoing here. Um, Brother asked me openly, Leroy, what are you going to do about it when you're there? That's what it was presented. I didn't see his comment, but that's what it was represented to me. First of all, thank you for acknowledging that we will be there, because that is, in fact, going to be the case. Much appreciated, brother, for that, first of all. So thank you, and welcome. Uh, Your support is welcome. We really appreciate that. Having said that, what what is Leroy McKnight going to do about it? And our team, ostensibly, as a group, what are we going to do about it? It isn't so much what are we going to do about it. The question, answer to the question is, what have we been doing about it? You see, as long ago as two and a half years, July 28th of, uh, I believe it was 28th, or Thursday night, so I'm not sure, 2014, last week in July, prior to the primary, I asked four members running for Congress, four people running for Congress, members of the community, what they were going to do about it. That started a dialogue. We talked about it on the show shortly after that, on the previous show that I I and Jeff were on. We've talked about it previously on this show. We've made a number of postings on 
Facebook pages to include one that had a new mat that they're using, impervious mat, where they build the products on so that they can be removed from the mat, the base where they're built on, without any damage to the part or the mat that might be uh, penetrated by some of these uh, product, you know, the, the materials. Posted that. All of that is in an effort to start a dialogue. Aristotle, you know, about this. You know, Aristotle said, Aristotle, I mean, we go back a ways, and we know some things around here. Aristotle said, a problem defined is a problem half solved. So if we've done even the least to help define the problem of the coming technology as a real issue for working men and women that puts their very livelihood and their jobs at risk and in jeopardy, well, then we've done partially our job because we haven't informed everybody, but we've informed enough people. And that has begun a dialogue. So in answer, and the answer that was never given by any one of the four, is that we hope, first of all, we are smart enough to know that we're not smart enough to make this decision on our own. It's going to take a whole lot of folks with a lot more focus than they have currently demonstrated at all levels. In our union, that has nothing going on, and we've talked about this on, on the page. In the communities, in the states, and in federal government. Jim, Jim Traficant saw this coming. Every morning went down to Congress in his session every congressman gets a chance to speak every morning for a minute or two i forget how long but he went down there every morning and spoke about this or some relevant issue and at the end of his statement he's famous was famous for saying scotty beam me up okay it there's just something wrong with what's going on it was his was his uh position I can't believe people are doing this, allowing these jobs to be outsourced. All of what's occurred, he was talking against throughout the 90s. He was very, very, very famous. He was a friend of mine. He was uh, killed in a tractor accident in uh, September 2014. Tractor rolled over on him. He never made it. He's a... Uh, a football player, quarterback, played for Pitt, Pittsburgh University. I don't think he ever played pro ball. Very, very agile, even at 77 years old. Never made an attempt to get out of the seat of the tractor. But he talked about it. Kucinich, former mayor of Cleveland and congressperson, talked about it. 
there's another person that's deceased now. I can't recall their name. They talked about it. Kucinich has been sidetracked. That other person and the other two people are now dead. And here we are talking about it on this radio show. The answer is, for, for those people that I asked for running for Congress, and to the, the, the answer to the question, what are you going to do about it? The answer is, currently there is no answer. But we, team working for a living, stand prepared, ready, and able to work with any and all persons, academia, elected officials, companies, and union leadership to arrive at a suitable answer for our country and our membership. And that's that's the true answer for this. That was the answer that that I was really looking for from those members of the community running for Congress. This isn't something new. And I hope that you listening this evening go out and go forth and tell people to listen to this show tonight. This is a serious, serious issue facing our membership. The Japanese made an attempt back in the 70s when robots came to be. We don't know for sure if they've actually implemented it there or not. It's a little unclear, but they did make the attempt that for every two robots, one human being would get a full paycheck, remain employed. For every two that displaced robots, that displaced two people, one person would remain fully paid. You know, that's a nice attempt. But even that gets can can get muddied up and and you know as they say bastardized in the process. So, uh, having said that, David, you got anything else here? We're getting close to close to the end of the show. Yeah. Um, one show that we had, uh, can't remember the month. Um, we talked about a labor party. Um, whether that was good or bad, we asked for participation from uh, the workers, members, and uh, we got some responses. Um, this week I came across a post, um, and I actually shared that to our page from Glenn Cage Jr. Um, this labor is a Democratic Labor Caucus out of Missouri. Um, like to know more about that and how we might be able to build on that. Um, I'll redo this in its entirety. To whom it may concern, the Triangle Waste Company made men's shirts in the early 1900s and employed 500 people, mostly women, 
It was located on the ninth and 10th floors of the 11-story Ash Building near closing time on Saturday noon on March 25th. 1911, a fire broke out. As the fire raged through the factory, women rushed to the exits, only to find that they had been locked. Some believe intentionally. Owners had frequently locked the doors, claiming that the workers stole materials. Others rushed to the windows, only to find that the ladder trucks didn't only reach the sixth floor. To escape the fire and fumes, many started to jump. The firefighters below rushed to catch them with safety nets, only to find that the falling bodies were breaking their nets. Trying to escape the fire, women plunged down air shafts and tried to slide down the cables of the elevators that had quit working when they became overloaded with people trying to escape the raging flames. In less than 10 minutes, 146 of 500 employees died that day. As many of you know, this is women's history books. And since the factory fire was instrumental in bringing worker safety to the forefront in the garment industry, as well as being one of the key driving factors in union organizing, as well as instrumental in the women's suffrage movement, the Missouri Democratic Labor Caucus will be hosting a rally at noon on March 25th. 2017 at the Missouri State Capitol in Jefferson City to commemorate the 106th anniversary of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. This was produced by the Missouri Labor Caucus, and they're inviting members to attend the 106th anniversary of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire Rally. Um, it will take place at 12 noon at the Missouri State Capitol. Um, you see, this is a very good thing, um, this Labor Caucus. And also on our page today, um, I was posted, um, I can find it here. Good information. We have a sister who I posted a link to uh, an event that's taking place where a UAW member is running. Here we go. James Newell, Democrat, is a UAW member running against Lada for the 5th District of Congress. He will be a speaker at this meeting. I wanted to share share this with you. I have met him. He seems to be knowledgeable, down-to-earth guy. Looking forward to learning more about him. It will be a great to have a horse in the race that I can support. Um, this may be something you might want to attend, Leroy. It's close by you, and uh, you might want to discuss a labor party with him. Yes, uh, uh, I. And, you know, I'm still open to that. I believe that everybody on the teams expressed that as well. So, uh, I'm. On your behalf, I uh, will take a look at attending that. Uh, so we'll uh, try and get some feedback from that person and perhaps have him on the show. Uh, I understand he's a UAW brother, so he's a good guy. So, we, you know, we want to try and promote that. Uh, it, 
it uh, should be mentioned that here in Michigan, the labor caucus of the state Democratic Party has always been pretty, pretty strong, uh, and we had the leadership, current leadership, speak at the most recent uh, state of Michigan Democratic Convention, and the labor caucus was full, but the progressive caucus had more people because for the first time in memory, maybe since the late 40s, the Labor Caucus doesn't have their candidate as Democratic Party state chair. Progressives have now taken that position. That's not a bad thing. It just says how horribly the UAW has managed their political heritage that they that they inherited. Not a very good job. And of course we we had the wrong candidate at the national level as well. More on that though uh, at some point. But yes, uh, we'll we'll try and get to that, David. Uh thanks for bringing up that uh Missouri issue. There's one in South Carolina, I believe about a chicken factory as well, something down there. A uh, similar issue where people were locked in and they burned to death, unfortunately. And here we are messing with the enforcement elements of OSHA. I can't imagine why that's good. We'll see. I'm still open to listen. I know we're, we're all still open to listen uh, to see what that really, you know, manifests itself to be. So, uh Thanks again, David. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about? We're getting long here. Six um, months after. Go ahead. Nope. Just that, just that the Labor Party in Missouri, the one you spoke of, and UAW members running for office mm-hmm. to speak to um, automation and technology that's coming in the future that will affect their members' jobs. Right. Like you said. Okay. Yeah. There isn't any. There isn't a correct answer at this time. We'll take many parties. And yes, and many, not just political parties, many parties, uh, you know, that are focused to try and resolve this in a positive way so we don't have people unemployed in mass in our country sitting around just doing nothing. It's already bad enough. Can we lose any more jobs? This, these are all what, what bankers call. Uh, prime jobs, and that's a prime job, manufacturing job, uh, supports 5.5 other jobs in the community. These are really important jobs that we have, brothers and sisters, and we cannot go silently into the dark, as I quote. Uh, So um, one last thing before we close the show out. Uh, Next week, uh, and this was discussed uh, on our on our call. Uh, next week, we've got some real good information uh, out there uh, that we're going to be reviewing, and we'll have some good answers or at least some good dialogue about uh, House Bill 1313. I guess it's uh, uh, Senate Bill or House Bill. I think it's House Bill. That uh, yeah, House Democrats. 
that deals with the genetic testing uh, contingent on wellness programs. Uh, and we'll get more into that, but we're going to discuss that next week so that you can look forward to something uh, that's equally as important to your future that's ongoing in government right now. So having said that, uh, let's, uh, David doesn't have any more to say. Let's close the show out. Our email address is workingforaliving at workingforaliving. You can follow us on Blog Talk Radio. For the ease of listening to this, uh, this show, you can go to workingforaliving.com. Up in the right-hand corner, you'll be able to find uh, a square for each of the following, Blog Talk Radio, working, uh, iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, and Player FM. They're all up in the top right-hand corner uh, just below the banner uh, and you, in the, uh, the um, social media icons. Uh, they're there, you know, uh, iTunes is for Apple and Stitcher's for Android. Player FM, I think, might do both. Uh, and Blog Talk Radio is supposed to do both. So uh, whatever your choice is, take a look at getting those there. If you've really, yeah, And if you found value in this show, please tell just one more person about us. I'm telling you, if you know some of these committee people, they got to be finding this information out. This is big stuff, okay? And... Uh, Here's a hearty shout-out to all our friends in Brook Park, Flat Rock, Tonawanda, Lordstown, Flint, Pontiac, Detroit, Bedford, Indiana, Lansing, Michigan, Toledo, Ohio, Chicago, Kansas City, Fairfax, uh, St. Louis, uh, Wentzville, Arlington, Chattanooga. Keep up the good work down there, you guys and ladies and brothers, sisters and brothers. you got a lot of hard work ahead of you there in Chattanooga. So. Uh, keep up good work, and maybe we can get you organized. And we know your problems, and we're going to work with you. Uh, Doraville, Santa Cruz, California, and everyone else around the world, we're, we're heard in all seven continents, and Mexico and Canada, everybody else around the United States. Good night. Stay safe. Everybody have a good week. We'll see you next week. Good night, David. Good night, Larry. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.